0: Welcome, I'm Cliff Hedges. This is Pastor Cliff's Notes. This is a podcast where we're studying the Bible. We're working our way through 2 Corinthians. Today is episode 481, looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 14 to 17. Let's read our passage. For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. From now on, then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. Even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in that way. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Well, this is 2 Corinthians. This is a letter Paul sending to the church in Corinth. This is not the second letter. There's been several letters, but it's the second one that we have preserved for us that is in the Bible. Paul had made a visit to Corinth after he sent 1 Corinthians, and it didn't go well. And a lot of the church really uh, was opposed to him, and the rest of the church stood by or, or participated in it. So he left quickly, and then he sent a letter. He calls it the tearful letter, in which he really poured out his heart and challenged them on their behavior. Titus delivered the letter, and Titus spent some time with him. Now Paul has left Ephesus, gone to Macedonia. Titus has come to Macedonia and linked up with Paul, and Titus has given a report that the majority of the church is on board. They are supportive of Paul now, and there's a sizable minority, though, who still are not supportive of Paul. That's the reason for Second Corinthians, to try and resolve the issues with this remaining group of people. So he's explained his travel plans, why they changed. That was a big issue with a lot of people there. He's uh, laid out the issue of his ministry, why he does what he does. And he's dealing with, it's kind of in the background at this point, but it seems to be a group of Judaizers who've come to town and are demanding the people be Jews in order to be Christians. So he's been contrasting the Old Covenant with the New Covenant. And if you are already followers of the New Covenant, which you are if you're a Christian, then don't get wrapped up trying to follow the Old Covenant, which has been superseded. He's talked about the essence of his ministry, and now he's talking more about the gospel itself, because that is the essence of his ministry. His ministry is one of the New Covenant and it's to proclaim the gospel. Last time we looked at, he talked about more of their motivation and and what they were doing, and he talked that they were about persuading people, and they were in their right mind in doing so. Verse 14, he says, For the love of Christ compels us, since we have reached this conclusion, that one died for all, therefore all died. Well, he's given the reason behind what he does that they're all about the new covenant. They're all about proclaiming Christ. They're all about the gospel. And he says here, now why? The reason is because the love of Christ compels us. That's the reason for his ministry, This love of Christ. And the reason is, is because they have reached this conclusion that one died for all, therefore all died. So it's because he believes the gospel. That's why he loves Christ and that's what compels his ministry. Now, some of this language is confusing because... The big question is, who is all? He says, one died for all, therefore all died. Well, obviously he's talking about Christ, one died for all. Now, when he says died for all, does he mean all of mankind or all believers? You could make the case either way there. But he says, therefore all died. Now, what does he mean by this? Does he mean all people die naturally? Uh, All people are condemned because of sin, but he's linking it to Christ. And and then you've got to really understand it in conjunction with verse 15, because it's all kind of together there. So he says, one died for all, therefore all died. Then continues into verse 15, and he died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised all died and those who live. Now, it could mean everybody has died, but only those who live are those who are followers of Christ. Or he could be saying all died, meaning all died to themselves, those who follow Christ. As in verse 15, he says, those who live no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them and was raised. So it's hard to say who is all, but really the The whole point of this is verse 15. He died for all, so those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for the one who died for them was raised. Now there, he's definitely talking about believers. Those who live no longer live for themselves, well, but they live for Christ. He died himself to live for Christ, so if that's who he's talking about died, then probably just means believers back in verse 14. But regardless of who he really means in verse 14, the thrust of this, the therefore, the so what, is verse 15, that believers have died to self and now live for Christ. That's the real takeaway. So whether he's referring to all people in verse 14 or just believers, it doesn't really matter. The takeaway of verse 15 is he's talking about believers. They've died to self and no longer live for themselves, but they live for Christ. That's the one who died for them and was raised. Now verse 16, he says, from now on then, we do not know anyone from a worldly perspective. He's referring here to our view of people. How do we look at people? And this is from now on then. Well, from this no longer living for ourselves, But living for Christ, that changes our perspective on people, how you view people. Now, what's a worldly perspective? How do you view people? I like them. I don't like them. I want to be around them or I don't want to be around them. This person's a help to me or this person's a hindrance to me. This person pleases me. This person annoys me. That's how we view things from a worldly perspective. This person is profitable. This person is not. That's the worldly perspective, often a selfish perspective. So what would be the opposite of that if we no longer view people that way? Well, we view people from a spiritual perspective. And the primary perspective is, this person know Christ or not? Because throughout the New Testament, we see there's two categories of people, those who know Christ and those who don't. And what's the big deal with those who don't know Christ. They need to know Christ. They need to hear the gospel. Well, how do we view people who do know Christ? Well, we view them as brothers and sisters. We view them as people that Christ loves and are in a relationship with him. We also view them as, you know, what kind of relationship do we have? Is this person growing in their relationship with Christ? How am I called to help this person grow? And they're a part of the church, the fellowship of people who are followers of Christ. People who don't know Christ, they need to, need to know Christ. They need to hear the gospel. Those who do know Christ, they're my brothers and sisters in Christ. And how can I help them grow in Christ? So it's a worldly perspective, spiritual perspective. It continues in verse 16. Now he applies it to Christ. He says, even if we have known Christ from a worldly perspective, yet now we no longer know him in this way. Well, this is part of our change in coming to Christ. There's a change because of this dying to self, now living for Christ, because of this response to the gospel, this change that takes place within us. The way we view Christ is different. So it's the worldly perspective about Christ? Well, from a just a basic point, it's, it's about facts or details. It's, okay... Who is Jesus? Well, was he really the son of God? Was he really, did he even exist? Uh, Was he a nice guy? Did he say a lot of nice things? It's it's more like facts and, and details about Christ. Yet the opposite of that is knowing Christ relationally, knowing him at a spiritual level. Do I just know him as a historical person and even question that? Or do I know him as my savior, my Lord? He continues verse 17, it says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. Now, this is summing up. We said, okay, we results of coming to Christ are death to self and living for Christ. How we view people, we don't view people from a worldly perspective, but from a spiritual perspective. How we view Christ and know Christ from just death knowing about Christ to actually knowing him relationally and following him as Lord and Savior. That's what a new creation looks like. It says, so if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. A new creation changed. How changed? Indwelt now by the Holy Spirit. That changes a lot. Change in perspective, change in goals, changes in priorities, changes in behaviors. All that is changed because of this new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. There's a theme running through this passage of the the no longer and the now. How many times have you said, well, we no longer do that. Now we do this. This goes along with this whole idea of the timeline of history. Even from a secular perspective, uh, history is divided into two parts based on Jesus Christ. B.C. and A.D. Now, they want to get away from that and call it C.E. and B.C.E. for Common Era. But it's still based on Christ. He divided history into two sections. That before Christ and that after Christ. Well, from a biblical perspective, we we do that too. And we say that uh, the Bible talks about the, the previous age or the present age and the age to come the uh, kingdom of the world, the kingdom of God, we'll just use like, the uh, idea of the previous age and the age to come. The previous age was the way it was. The age to come is the way it will be when Christ reigns. Now, we're in this overlap period. The previous age or the present age, it, it's been running. Christ came, but it's still This is this already-not-yet tension that we live in. We still live in this present age or the previous age. That doesn't end until Christ returns. But the age to come actually began when Christ came the first time. So we're in this overlap period where we kind of live in the present age, but we're also part of the age to come as followers of Christ. It's like we live in the world, but really citizens of heaven. A lot of people call this overlap time. In fact, the Bible calls it the end times. When did the end times begin? Well, I'm part of the school that calls it the end times began when Christ came. The end times end when Christ returns. And that's this overlap period. The already, not yet. We're already in the age to come, but not quite fully. So not yet. And we still deal with the present age. And that's kind of the language here of this no longer, but now, because that's dealing with history, but dealing with personally, it changes when we come to Christ. Prior to coming to Christ, we view things from a worldly perspective. We're in the world of the world. We we are the world. But when we come to Christ, well, we're still in the world. We're no longer of the world. We're now part of this age to come. We're now followers of Christ in a relationship with God. And as we look through this passage, verse 15, he talked about the purpose of living. We no longer live for self. That's the previous thing. We now live for Christ. He's the one who died and was raised for us. Verse 16, he talked about how we know people. They used to be the previous. We no longer know people from a worldly perspective. Well, now... We know people from a spiritual perspective. He talked about how we know Christ. That previous, we knew Christ from a worldly perspective. We knew about Christ. But now we know Christ through the Holy Spirit. We know him relationally. In verse 17, he talked about the old creation, the new creation, the no longer. That's That was the old creation. But the now, and from now on, that's the new creation. And so the challenge for us always is, how do we live in the world but not be of the world? How do we no longer cling to that what was, what no longer is, and embrace the what is now and now to come? How do we view people from not a worldly perspective, from a spiritual perspective? How do we really view Christ from a spiritual perspective, relational perspective? And what's it really mean to be a new creation in Christ? Thanks for joining me. Join me again next time. So continue working through Second Corinthians.